We are going to begin a new series here today, and we're going to talk about the subject of sanctification. Our Father has an amazing and grand design for every person in this room. God says He's a potter. He is the one who is making us, and He is making us uh, a special vessel. Now, God's plan for our life can be uh, summed up in one word, sanctification. Now, if you've never uh, really thought much about that word or maybe know exactly what it means, you're certainly not alone. Many Christians are unclear about the definition and maybe more uh, what it means to them. But sanctification is the foundation for answered prayer. A sanctified heart gets a hold of God. It is the basis of all good relationships. A sanctified husband who is gentle in his speech and wise in what he says and loving in how he says. A sanctified wife who uh, speaks wisdom in her heart. A sanctified wife with a kind spirit. That becomes a basis of a great relationship. It is the fountain of all happiness. A sanctified person is a happy person. They're not uh, swayed by the junk of the world. A sanctified person is, has power in ministry. You can't try to be successful for the Lord if we're not sanctified. Now, in its verb form, sanctify, it means to make holy or to separate or, as we like to say, to set apart. When we take something and use it for God and dedicate it to God, it is sanctified. It is dedicated for God's special purpose. And if you were writing down a definition, that basically be it. We would just set apart for God's special service. Throughout Scripture, we find that items can be sanctified to the Lord. There were lots of candelabras in people's homes, but the candle stick that was placed in the tabernacle was sanctified. It was unique. Days can be sanctified to the Lord. He took one day out of seven. He also took various feast days during the period of the ceremonial law. People can be sanctified, as God did with the tribe of Levi and others. And Scripture teaches us that we also become sanctified. The moment that you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been set apart for the world, and we have been designed for a special purpose. It is a grand design. And so to be sanctified is to be set apart for God's special purpose. Well, God uses very... uh, various things to sanctify us. Certainly uses his word, but sometimes he uses circumstances. You have to, uh, I'm sure we'll enjoy this story about uh, God using something rather unique to sanctify his church people. Mr. Jones called his pastor from the hospital one day and frantically said, oh, pastor, come quickly. My son John was just bitten by a rattlesnake and is at the point of death. Of course, the pastor hurried to the side of the worried father and pray for my son, pastor, pray. I have promised the Lord if my son recovers, I'm going to start coming back to church. I'm going to bring my family and I'm going to start living for God. 
the pastor heard all that, he was taken back, and he said, Dear Lord, we come to you right now on behalf of Mr. Jones' son. We pray that he might recover from this snake bite. We want to praise your name for sending this rattlesnake to bite John. For this one rattlesnake has done what you, I or the church has been able to do in the whole life of Mr. Jones. During all this time, he's not been interested in spiritual well-being for himself or his family. And thank God for the rattlesnake. Lord, could it be we need more rattlesnakes in the lives of our church members, bigger and better? There you go. <laughs> thank God for the rattlesnakes. And has a sanctifying way. Well, we're going to talk this morning, begin a new series, Meat for the Master's Use. Let's all bow for a prayer. Father, we do thank you for rattlesnakes and we thank you, for, as hard as it seems, Lord, we thank you for cancer, and we thank you for things that you use, the, the file and the hammer and the chisel to make us your, uh, your people special, set apart. Now, Lord, give us your mind, and Lord, meet with us this morning. Send us out of here with something to hold on to that we could use during this week. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's go to the book of 2 Timothy, although we're going to spend our time in John 17 today. But this really is our theme verse for these several weeks as we begin this new series. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, if you have your Bible, your phone, your iPad, or whatever you have, or you can look here on the PowerPoint. Let's read it all together out loud, reading from the King James Version. Ready, begin. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. All right. Now, you didn't say that very much with me. How come? Let's try that again, all right? I was wondering if we got there. All right, ready to begin. Let's say it like we mean it, okay? Well, here we go. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. There we go. All right, so Paul's talking about a house. If you read the context there, he's talking about a spiritual house, really referring to the church. Sadly, in churches, there are vessels of dishonor, not fulfilling what they were meant to do. They're like an empty cup sitting on the shelf, or maybe they have a few cracks, <laughs> or they're dirty, or whatever the case is, but they are a vessel of dishonor. But in the God's house, there are vessels of honor. They are set apart, sanctified. They are meat. They are ready for the master's use. God wants us to be used. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it's a big word, but actually it has very common meaning. Let me illustrate. A few years back, uh, it's been maybe uh, eight or so years ago now, Pauline and I were at a kind of an upscale community, and uh, we went to a thrift store. We like to go those occasionally. And so we were walking in there, and I saw a pan. Now, I don't typically go in the kitchen section, but I saw this pan, and it looked like a beautiful pan. It was almost brand new. It looked like a pretty nice, expensive pan. I figured we probably should get it, so I got it for $2.00. It was amazing pan. I have used that thing every morning, once a day for sure, maybe sometimes twice, sometimes three times a day. It's an amazing pan. 
It is basically a glorified cast iron pan, but it has a smooth bottom, has real short sides. It is my breakfast pan. I love my pan. I just love that pan. Now, uh, however, uh, it took Pauline to teach me how to treat this pan. She said, honey, you've got to sanctify it. And uh, in as many words, you see, uh, she took it and she said, now, uh, you don't put this pan in the uh, dishwasher. This is not a pan you put in the dishwasher. You can scrub it. You can scrape it a little. And, uh, but then uh, after you get it nice and clean, you put a little oil on it. And if you want to, you can actually put it on the uh, stovetop for just a second just to get it warm and you kind of cure a little bit and then you put it away. This pan has been sanctified, scrubbed up, scraped on, anointed with oil, and ready for use. It is sanctified. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to sanctify our pans. He wants to sanctify us. God is always wanting to set us apart, to use us. The day that you and I get saved, God said, all right, I have got a plan for your life, and I want you to be sanctified. Don't be some old vessel over there that's cracked or empty or dirty. I want you to be ready for use because I've got a, I've got a plan for you. Now, the word sanctified, the, the core word, uh, we get our word saint from. Maybe we could say sanctified. When we get saved, we get sanctified. And that's why in Scripture, God refers to His children as saints. Now, if you come from a particular religious background, you will know that there are saints. And sometimes I've seen people drive around with these saints on their dashboard. And uh, I always thought it was kind of strange because every time I ever saw one of those saints, the saint was facing backwards. But anyway, didn't feel like it was going to help them drive at all. And... Uh, but they have these saints, and so we got saints. But the truth is, when we become a believer, we're all saints. It's not the Pope that makes me a saint. It's not popular opinion that makes me a saint. I am a saint of God because I am saved. And so let's go to John chapter 17 and verse number 4. We're going to begin this amazing chapter, certainly one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible. It is deep. It is incredible. It is full of riches. And honestly, I have been, uh, I have been a spelunker in this uh, cave for 40, 50 years and have still just scratching the surface. Let's look at verse number four. Jesus is praying. This is truly the Lord's prayer. Really, that prayer in uh, Matthew and other places where Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, that's actually the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. This is our Lord speaking. This is God the Son speaking to God the Father. I have glorified thee on earth, verse 4. Now watch this. I glorified you. How did I glorify you? I have finished the work you gave me to do. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that there's nothing that could be better said of you and I than that. I finished the work. I finished the work you called me to do, Lord, and I, I thank God you just called me and you finished, I finished that work, verse 18. Now, as thou hast sent me into the world, verse 18, even so 
have I also sent them into the world. Now, specifically, the context, if you're a purist, you'd be saying, well, he's speaking to his disciples. Yes, you're right. But everybody who gets fully dedicated to the Lord becomes a disciple of the Lord. We're all disciples. And so really, God has called all of us to be set apart for His purpose, to do the work, to finish the job. On my epitaph one day, uh, on that gravestone, if you go to that cemetery, wherever that is, I hope that you will see the words, He finished the job. He finished. He did all that God called Him to do. In order to do that, you have to be sanctified. God's not going to just use an old dirty vessel. He's not going to use an empty vessel. He's not going to use a crack pot. Amen? No crack pots. And uh, stuff will leak out of them. God said, I want, your, I, want to use you. I, want to, I want to use you as a vessel. The problem is we have, uh, we have issues. And we relate to sanctification in a different way. There are different kinds of ways that we relate to sanctification, four of them. The first are the unconcerned. The unconcerned are the whole hum, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever, 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 whatever. These are the no desire Christians, indifferent. They don't really even see a need to change. And honestly, I am very concerned about the American church. Very concerned. Someone said a very wise thing to me a few couple years ago. I thought, and I've never forgotten, it's just like brilliantly perceptive about the state of the church. I was talking to a, a well-known, a, a wonderful Christian from the Bay Area. And uh, I don't really know a lot about some of the churches over there. And I said, uh, like we often ask, I said, are, is there, are there some good churches over there? And he said, yes. He said, there, I'm sure there's at least a hundred churches in the greater Bay Area that you can get saved in. But he said, there's only a handful that you can get sanctified in. I thought, that guy gets it. He gets it. Folks, there are gospel-preaching churches, and then there are churches who will sanctify you. They will grow you and change you. Folks, if our religion isn't changing us, I think we ought to change our religion. It ought to be sanctifying us. We ought to be challenged and thrilled and changed by the preaching of the Word. A sanctifying church. I'm afraid that the American Modern church, for the most part, doesn't care about sanctification. They kind of just got stuck on justification. There's a second way that we relate to sanctification, and that is the unruly. Now, I'm not being critical, folks. I'm just saying that's an a insightful thought that that man had. The second point is unruly. They don't want to do the will of God because, frankly, don't want to. <laughs> just no desire. And I, you know... That's one of the things we have with our children when they grow up. Okay, I, you know, I don't want you to do, you know, look at these bad things. I want you to put away your, you know, your video games so that you can concentrate on this. I want you to make sure that, you know, you don't go to these parties and get uh, tempted to do these things. Now, in a child's mind, it's like, 
Uh, but why? It's fun. I mean, it's fun to play my video games. It's fun to go to parties. It's fun to look at these things. It's fun. I mean, what motivation besides the fact that you don't want me to do it? I want to do those things. They seem fun. Unless we can convince them there is a reason, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to go in one ear and out the other. What is that reason? God has a plan for your life. You can't be out running a race if you're getting all crazy the night before. You can't do that. You have a, you have a goal in your life. And God wants to use you for his kingdom. And so you need to be sanctified. You need to set apart from this junk. The unruly, however, don't care. They just don't see a vision for their life. Then there are the unaware. They simply are so busy, so uninformed about God, about the word. They're just busy, busy, busy. Their, word, their theme in life is work, work. They wake up in the morning and say, work, work. At lunch, they say, work, 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 work. At night, they say, I got to get up and go to work, 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 work. And things of the Bible, things of God, they just, they just not, they're unconcerned. It's just, they're unaware. They're just indifferent. And God said, come on, there's a better way to live than that. Be sanctified. And then there are, thank God, the undefeated. These are the people who take precepts and put them into practice. These are the people who are sanctified. They have discovered the secret to sanctification. And what is the secret? Well, according to John 17, Jesus, and this is going to sound real simplistic, but the, but the absolute secret to sanctification is Jesus. Let's look what Scripture says. Jesus is the substance, the very basis of our sanctification. Let's look at verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, make them ready for use. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Even though he didn't have to separate from sin, he needed to present himself, humanly speaking, to God. That They also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus sanctified Himself. That is, he wanted to make himself usable to the Father so that he could say, Lord, I've done what you called me to do. Now, over the years, people have had uh, some very strange concepts about sanctification. An ancient heresy, one that's really uh, centuries old, is that of perfectionism. You may have heard of uh, sinless perfection. It's not very common today that people teach that, but basically, here's the thought, that there is a class of Christians who have become so sanctified that they have achieved moral perfection in their life. They just simply don't sin. One big problem with that issue, and that is if you think you are perfect, you are far from perfect. <laughs> So it's self-defeating in its own concept. No, sorry, that can't be true. Now, a much more subtle but prevalent and very common in today's church is the concept of people who are so caught up in the love of God, the grace of God, 
that they lose sight of God's righteous anger towards sin. Unfortunately, they confuse our eternal standing with our present state. And they confuse the two. They get scriptures and the Bible declares us righteous and so forth, and they confuse our standing and our state. As a result, they become antinomian, which means, oh, you know, we don't believe in any laws for our Christian life, which, of course, is very convenient. Nothing's ever sinned then. It doesn't make any difference if I go to church or not. It's not sin. It doesn't make any difference if I tithe or not. It's not sin. It doesn't make any difference if I witness or not. It's not sin. It really doesn't make any difference if I do anything because, of course, God doesn't see my sin. If God doesn't see my sin because I'm sanctified, I'm eternally settled in the heavens, then the Bible even is unnecessary. And these people heavily rely on the Holy Spirit to lead them rather than the Word of God. When we, we make a big mistake when we do that because the Holy Spirit wrote Scripture. And here's what it says in verse 17. Sanctify them through what? Through the truth. And in case we wondered what the truth is, well, there's lots of truths in the world. You know, this group has their truth and this group, no, there's not lots of truths in the world. There's not lots of paths that lead to heaven. No way. It says, thy word is truth. That's where the truth is. And this book is what sanctifies us. First Peter 1.22, Peter said, seeing you have purified your souls. You have set apart your souls in what? Obeying the truth. It is sanctification through obeying the truth of God. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, God talks about the washing of regeneration by the word of God. It is the, we become regenerated, meaning the word, the prefix uh, uh, re, meaning again, gene, G-E-N-E, meaning I get new genes, regenerated through what? Through the Word of God. The Bible just puts new hope and just excitement into my soul. That's what God does. He gets me to a new place. The book of books, the Bible, is the most powerful, cleansing, sanctifying feature that we could possibly have. It is like bringing the most powerful air freshener in the world into your home. Have you ever maybe gone away for a little vacation, close up the house, you know, and maybe you're gone for a couple of weeks, you close up the house, make sure everything's, you know, settled, and then you take off, and you come back. You've been gone for two weeks, and you open the doors, you're like, ooh, man, that's a one stale house. And uh, if you've had children or pets, it even, you know, kind of comes at you a little bit more. But the fact is, I mean, any house gets stale if you don't let the air in. Boy, may you come home, you open those doors, you open the windows, and all of a sudden, just that air just comes rushing in. Now, you don't really have to do anything. You just let the, you let the wind replace the old stale air, and that's what the Holy Spirit does through the Word of God. When we open up our spirits and open up the, our eyes and our doors of our ears, and when we open up everything, the Holy Spirit just comes in through His Word, and He just uh, refreshes us and gives us uh, and makes us usable for God. Let's go back to verse 4, chapter 17 there of John. God said, I, 
God the Son said, I finished the work you gave me to do. How did he do that? Well, John 8, 29 says how he did it. I do always the things that please God. Pleasing God. That's an interesting phrase, really. Pleasing God. I want to please God. Do you want to please God? If you were to be asked this morning, what is it that pleases God? Well, let me see. I, I, it would be pleasing if I would do this, or it would be pleasing if I would do that. We might have several things, maybe the top five things or top ten things that would be pleasing to the Lord. We might uh, get pretty close to it. But follow with me for a second. Jesus always did things that pleased the Father. One time he was on a mountaintop, some people gathered together, and he preached. It was glorious. Preaching is pleasing to the Lord. Another time he came and his dear friend Lazarus had died. The people around were very brokenhearted, and Jesus came and he shouted, Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus came out of the grave. And it's a good thing he said, Lazarus. He just said, come forth. Every person ever died, come forth. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. So he shouted for the Lord. Preaching is pleasing to the Lord. Shouting to the Lord is pleasing to the Lord. Another time he took his disciples and they were all having a little discussion about what makes a person great. And Jesus reached down and he took a basin of water and he washed the disciples' feet. He washed. Washing, apparently, is pleasing to the Lord. Preaching is pleasing to the Lord. Shouting is pleasing to the Lord. Washing is pleasing to the Lord. And then if you can imagine, one time he came and there was this man who was blind. And Jesus reached down and he got a big old wad of saliva in his mouth, and he spit it into some dust, and he made that mud and put it on that blind man's eyes, and he spit for the Lord. Now, which of those four things is the most pleasing to God? Preaching, shouting, washing, or spitting? What, what do you think is the most pleasing to God? Well, you know the answer, don't you? The answer is they're all pleasing to the Lord because when I sanctify myself, everything I do for God is pleasing to Him. When I walk in the Spirit, when I'm living by the Word, you see so many people surrender to a task when they should be surrendering to the Lord. We surrender to do a goal rather than to God. Really, it it doesn't really make any difference what I do with my life as long as I'm doing it for the Lord, for His glory. Whether it's preaching, whether it's washing, whether it's shouting, or whether it's spitting, as long as I'm doing it for the Lord, it is doing something for God. And that's what God wants me to do. I, wanna, I just want to wake up every day, have an intimate relationship with God through prayer and the Word. Prayer is me speaking to God. The Word is Him speaking to me. And as I do that, I, have, I am sanctifying myself. I'm a vessel ready for God to use. 
I was watching my wife one day cooking, and she put some pasta into this little dish with holes in it, this little receptacle. I think they call it a colander or something like that. And uh, some people use them for hats, I noticed the other day. But, um, she, uh, she put that thing in there and uh, poured water over it. That thing didn't even hold one bit of water. It just washed all the way through. But not only was the pasta cleaner, the colander was cleaner. You'd say, Pastor, I have a hard time retaining the Word of God. It just seems to go in one ear and out the other. I mean, I hear you preach. I go out like I'm going to really make a difference this week. And good night by Sunday night, I've just lost it all. Well, you'd say, well, I don't know what good is doing me. Folks, even if it did just go in one ear and out the other, you'd be a cleaner colander for having the Word of God gone through your life. And that's what God's Word does. It is a cleansing power. Jesus is the substance of sanctification, and Jesus is revealed through His Word. Number two, Jesus is not only the substance, but He is the sample. Verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Jesus said, I've, I've got a purpose in my life. I'm purpose-driven in what I'm doing. I want to be sanctified. I want to be used for God. Verse 21, here's the purpose. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. And that they all so may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And now notice this little phrase, verse 22. And the glory, there you go. That's the purpose that Jesus was living for. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. The purpose of Jesus Christ, to manifest the glory of God on earth. I just want to live for the glory of God. Whether it be shouting, preaching, washing, or spitting, I just want to live to the glory of God. I want to make sure that I am an example of God. And, God's, and Jesus said, I want, I want to be an example of the Father and I want you to be an example of me. God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit are all one. But really, sanctification is living Jesus in front of people. One great author said, sanctification is the work of Christ in me, a sign that I am no longer independent but completely dependent upon him. Any person that looked at the Son looked at the Father. John 14, 9 says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Now think of that. God said, I want you to have that same glory. Verse 22, Father, I'm going to give your glory to Tim. When people see Tim, what are they supposed to see? They're supposed to see Jesus. If they spend any time with me, I hope that my words say, this man knows Jesus. I hope that my attitude says, this man knows Jesus. I hope that my actions say, this man knows Jesus. Folks, you can't live a shady life. You can't live a disobedient life and display Jesus because that's our goal in life is we are sanctified so that we might show who Jesus is. Jesus said, I want to be a living display of the Father. Father, I will sanctify myself so that you will be glorified. I am a saint, Saint Tim and Saint John, and we're all saints if you're a believer, you're a saint. Let's act like it. Let's make sure that we display Jesus Christ. There was a Midwestern mom who got a hold of this truth. 
being the good uh, uh, Christian mom that she was, she decided to try to teach her children about sanctification. She told her children that the minute you get saved, God sanctifies you. He has set you apart for a purpose. And so to illustrate that fact, she said, and that's why we get our word saint. It comes from sanctified. And so she called one of her children Saint Johnny and then Saint Susie and then Saint Charlie. And they were all listening to her. Throughout the week, she would continue doing the same thing. She'd call them you know, St. Johnny or St. Susie, and she would call them by those names. Well, they were riding in the car, going to a particular location. When she began saying again, called them saint, finally one of the boys whined, one of the little guys, and said, Mama, I don't want to be a saint. I want to be a packer. <laughs> but folks, you don't have to. You can, you can love the packers and still be a saint. Amen. Jesus is the substance of sanctification. He is the sample of our sanctification. He's the point. And finally, He is the source of our sanctification. It's not enough to know about God if we don't do something about it. Verse 23, notice what it says. I in them. Woo, there's, there's my power. I can't get sanctified without God in me. Otherwise, it's just going to be empty. People trying to do spiritual things without God's power, it's a disaster. I in them and thou in me that they may be perfect or sanctified. I in them. God the Father is in Jesus. God the Son is in Tim. And that is the reason I can do anything holy. God just didn't say, Tim, I want you to be a Christian. Now just grit your teeth and be holy. Just do your best every day. I'll tell you one thing, trying to be a Christian in this world, trying to keep from cussing and going crazy and wanting to, you know, run people over or flip people off or whatever. I mean, I'll tell you one thing, you can't do that without God, I promise you. Any determination that you have to be a saint this week is going to last about till you get out of the parking lot. If we don't get God's power, we're done. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. There is nothing good in me that I can change my life with. I just, I don't have the power, I don't have the equipment, I don't have the ammunition, I just don't have it. I my flesh cannot do a holy thing, but God in me can. When I read this next verse, it changed my life. It absolutely transformed my entire thought process about the Christian life. It's been decades ago when this verse was presented to me and the light bulb went on. Turn with me, if you're not already there, to Philippians 2 and verse 13, or look here on our PowerPoint. Philippians 2 and verse 13. Here the Apostle Paul is preaching to his dear beloved friends in Philippi, and he's saying, you know, I know you're trying to do right. I know you're trying to be a Christian. You're trying to live good. You know, you're trying to do good things. But you're going to fail unless you get this truth. 
For it is God which worketh in you, and here's the part, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, I kind of used to think early on that I just needed to be better. I needed to pray more. I needed to be more obedient. I just needed to be better. And my efforts really, and, and I, they were noble and nothing to be wrong. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, that there's a wonderful balance between effort and grace. But here, my efforts were so, were so um, focused on what I could do for God that I forgot the truth that my flesh can't please God. And I would fail miserably. Then I got the truth that God was my strength. And that was a, that was a glorifying day. I mean, that was wonderful. God, you're my strength. But then when I read this verse, it clarified it even more. He's not only my enabler, he's my incliner. Look what this verse says. He works in me to give me a desire to do right. Not only does he work in me to do what's right, but he even places the desire inside of me. Hallelujah. You mean it's God who placed a desire in me to even want to do right? That's what God is saying here. God works to give them a desire. Have you ever dealt with children or somebody you know, or maybe even yourself? You just say, you know what? Honestly, they just don't even have a desire. It's God who works in them, both to will and to do his good pleasure. My problem is doing the will of God. If I do it in my flesh, I fail miserably. It becomes iniquity. Jesus said about some people, you're going you're gonna to die and stand before God, and I'm going to look you in the face, and I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you're going to stop and say, wait, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we heal people in your name? Didn't we do spiritual things for you? God said, yes, but you didn't do it for me. You did it for you. You were just doing good works in the power of the flesh, and whatever good you did was nothing. It's wood, hay, and stubble. God works in me a desire, a holy desire to do what's right. He works in me. Oh, God, do a work in my son. God, do a work in my daughter. God, do a work in my wife. God, place in their heart the desire and the power to do what's right. Work in my heart, oh God. Work in my spirit, God. First John 3 and verse 7 says, Little children, let no man deceive you. Don't let anybody fake you out. You can prove a person is righteous because they do righteous. If they don't do righteous things, they're not righteous. Because they do righteous because even as Jesus is righteous. How do you spell sanctification? Here's how you spell it. J-E-S-U-S. Sanctification is Jesus. It is, if I just keep my eyes on Jesus, I'll be a sanctified person. And that's what God is saying here. It is saying, 
even as he is righteous. You'd say, well, pastor, you know, I don't steal and I don't get drunk anymore and I don't curse. Good, you're, about, you're, you're equal to a telephone pole. Now you're, real, you're, real, you're really good. God says we're supposed to do righteousness, not just not do bad things. The Christian life is not measured by how many bad things we don't do. It is a righteous life. And I can't do righteous things unless Jesus is in me. 1 John 2, 6, we're to walk as he walked. 1 John 4, 17, even as he is, so are we in this world. Pastor, I can't be like Jesus. You're right. I can't be like Jesus. But God in me can be like Jesus. If it's I trying to be like Jesus, you're going to fail. But if God in me is being like Jesus, then I can do it. He works in me to give me the desire. He is both my incliner and my enabler to be like God. God is, Jesus said, the reason I am on this earth is so that I can be a living example of the glory of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want everybody to see God. And so whether you preach, or whether you shout, or whether you wash, or whether you spit, really it's not about the task, it's about the person. It's about committing myself to being like Christ. The core of sanctification is J-E-S-U-S. One of Pauline and I's favorite things to do is to go to South Lake Tahoe. We love it up there. It's beautiful, clear air, fresh smell of pine. We have little things we like to do. One time we stopped at a place that was, uh, had all kinds of carvings, wood carvings. All, just amazing amount of carvings. We put, got out of the car, and I noticed a little crowd over to the side over there, and we saw a man doing the carving. He had a big old chunk of Tahoe, big old block of wood, big old round there, and he was just carving away. And do you know what he was using? Well, if you've ever been up to South Lake Tahoe, you may know what they use up there. He was using a chainsaw, and he was just carving away on that big old piece of wood, and it was absolutely amazing. And then when you go in the shop, you see bears and fish and eagles, these beautiful, glorious eagles just, and boy, they're proud of their stuff, I'll tell you. Can't even afford a little tiny bear. <laughs> well, I'm not that. How much is this bear? $42? It's Man, it's like a toothpick bear with $42, anyway. <clears throat> it reminds me of uh, what I heard one man doing something similar, using a chainsaw to make beautiful pictures, statues. And they asked him, how in the world can you get this amazing statue out of that block of wood. He said, it's easy. Really? It's easy. I just cut away everything that doesn't look like an eagle. And friend, that's exactly what God does for you and I. 
God looks at us and it's just a big old block of wood. And God says, I see an eagle in that block. And God just cuts away everything that doesn't look like a saint. And one day we look back and say, looky here, Saint Timothy. Unfortunately, to get to that point, it's chainsaw season. And if you've ever been in the sanctifying time of God, you can say, I can just tell you, it's chainsaw season. He's cutting away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. The key to sanctification, just kneel and present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Father. Jesus, I want to be like you. And whatever you want me to do, whether it's preaching, hollering, washing, or spitting, I just want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be just like you. And that is the key of sanctification. It is just saying, make me like Christ. And I know I'll be sanctified. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed.